Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 62nd program in this series. I'm at the end of John chapter 11. This was right after Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. In this program, I'd like to start again in verse 45. This is John chapter 11, verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. In the previous program, I explained that there could have been two different kinds of people who went to go speak with the Pharisees. One kind of person could have been someone who believed in Jesus, and the other kind of person could have been someone who didn't believe in Jesus. The first kind of person would be going to the Pharisees to brag about what Jesus had done, and the second kind of person would be going there to beg that the Pharisees would do something about Jesus because there was tremendous risk of what could take place if they didn't do something about Jesus. So then in verse 47, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So what they do is they assemble a council, and this council is composed of the chief priests, and the high priest is present. We'll read that in just a moment. This is an assembly of the Sanhedrin, of the highest authority there in the land of Israel, just below the Roman authority. These people were given authority and responsibility there in Israel by the Romans, And they fulfilled these responsibilities by taking care of a lot of things that the Romans just did not want to be bothered with. But these people are considered to be the leaders, the primary leaders there in Israel, the leaders of the people. The people looked up to the Sanhedrin as the leadership who governed the nation, and that the Romans were an occupying force that at some point needed to be removed. They needed to be expelled. There was an understanding that for that to take place, there would have to be a war of some kind. There would have to be an organized effort to accomplish this. And many of the people believed that this is what the Messiah would do for them, that if the Messiah would come, then he would lead everyone in battle, they would win the war, and he would reestablish the kingdom of Israel, and he would rule there as the king of Israel. This was an expectation of the Messiah, the most popular expectation that most of the people held to. Well, here is an opportunity. They don't like 
this particular Messiah. But I want you to understand that even if they got the kind of Messiah they wanted, they still may not rally together, assemble together, and go to war with the Messiah that they wanted. Now, most of the arguments that were taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees had to do with their understanding of the Mosaic Law, that they believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. Jesus did not agree with them. They believed that the Messiah would come and he would help them to be more obedient to the law, to help them fill in the gaps that may exist in their understanding, but not dispose of the things that they already wanted to hold to. They believed that the Messiah would come and examine their way of life, their way of understanding, and he would add some additional laws to their way of life, to the legal structure that they came up with in order to ensure that they would never come within the boundaries of violating the Mosaic Law. In other words, they expected the Messiah to join in with them to contribute to their great efforts and to complete the task. Jesus told them, everything that you people are doing is useless and empty. You are going nowhere with this. You are never going to obey the law to the extent that is required. It just simply is not going to happen. You will need a different covenant. So this argument between Jesus and the Pharisees put Jesus in a position that he was unacceptable to them as a Messiah. But even if they found a Messiah, even if one showed up who did fulfill all that they wanted, that would not necessarily mean that they would be willing to go to war with this Messiah. It wouldn't necessarily mean that. And you can see this illustrated in verse 48. In John chapter 11, verse 48, they are concerned about the Romans coming and taking away their place and their nation. What they express here is that their priority, what is of greater interest to them, is their job security. That's what's of greater interest to them. They don't want to lose their place. They don't want to lose their position. They don't want to lose their standing in the current economic infrastructure. They were benefiting from the way things were. With the Romans in power, they were benefiting. The society was structured in a way that these people found a way to profit from it just fine. And the nation that they had was contributing towards their ability to sustain the lifestyle that they had. If the Romans decided that they didn't like the way things were, they could come in and change things. So verse 48 does give the impression that even if these people had the Messiah they wanted, they would still not be willing to change the way things were or contribute in a way that would change the way that things were, they would not want to be a part of that, because what they had was working. There's no reason to fix it. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And from their point of view, they were doing just fine. The Romans could even 
wage war against the people in a way that all of their religious institutions could be destroyed. They could have done that. They could have changed things in a way that would be similar to what happened with the Babylonian captivity. So there was tremendous risk, and they take a position. The chief priests take a position. The Pharisees, who were a part of the Sanhedrin, the scribes, are not mentioned here, but they would probably be a part of it as well. The high priest is there, Caiaphas, the high priest. Most everybody is there. And by their decision, they effectively reject their God and they embrace the Romans. Again, they are officially rejecting their God and they are embracing the Romans. Now, there is some history that corresponds to this. In the messages that I presented on John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, I spoke about the Samaritans and some of the history of the Samaritans and the conflict that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, one of the issues that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans was that during the Maccabean Wars, the Samaritans complied with Antiochus IV, the one who the Jews were waging war against. Antiochus IV told the Samaritans, you will submit to what I say or you will be destroyed. We will make war against you and we will destroy you. We want you to reject Judaism. We want you to reject the Mosaic law. We want you to abandon that and embrace the gods of the Greeks. Or there will be war and we will kill you. And the Samaritans surrendered to that. The Jews held that against the Samaritans. This was one of the things that they held against the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not join in with the Maccabees to fight against Antiochus IV. Now, I did explain that there were likely some reasons for that. But the point is here that the Jews held this against the Samaritans and would not recognize the Samaritans as being legitimate Israelites. The Samaritans were the topic of contempt quite often. This was a source of religious pride for the Jews, that the Jews would compare themselves with the Samaritans so that they could elevate themselves and assert their greater quality, their greater faith, their greater legitimacy. But here they are making the exact same kind of decision as the Samaritans made almost 200 years prior to this. The Jews are making the same decision because they are concerned that the Romans are going to remove them from their position, from their place in the society, that the Romans are going to take away their job and give it to someone else who will be more loyal to the Romans. And so, in effect, what they are doing is they are choosing the occupying foreign force. They're choosing them over their God. They are rejecting their God. 
Now, these are the people who are looked at as the utmost authority when it comes to religious issues, when it comes to issues related to the people and the God of Israel. These are considered to be the highest authorities in the land, and they have rejected their God. Again, in verse 48, if we let him alone like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Verse 49, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Why would he say, You people don't understand anything, in effect. You don't know anything. The reason why He said, you people don't know anything, is because what they were talking about had no relevance. Jesus was not relevant. What he was doing had no relevance at all. There's nothing to argue about. There is nothing to discuss. Jesus resurrected someone from the dead. He had done many miracles before this one. Obviously, he is recruiting more and more people. This is a problem. People are going to believe in him. It appears that he really is the representative of the living God. This is what they were discussing. This is what they were concerned about. And Caiaphas says, all of these things that you people are talking about are irrelevant It doesn't matter if people believe in Jesus or not. It doesn't matter if he is resurrecting people from the dead or not. It doesn't matter if he's doing a whole bunch of miracles that demonstrate that he is God manifested in the flesh. It doesn't matter. You people don't understand anything. The only thing that matters is that he is a threat And so we need to kill him. That's the only thing that matters. That's why he says, you people don't know anything at all. Clearly they understood that they were at risk of losing their place and their nation. They understood that. But Caiaphas said that they don't understand anything at all because there is nothing to discuss. There is nothing to argue about. We understand that this guy is a threat to us. Let's kill him. Let's murder this guy. That was the only thing that was relevant from Caius's point of view. He explains more in verse 50. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, we have a simple solution. It is expedient for us. It is convenient for us. There is a simple solution to whatever you are concerned about, and it doesn't matter what you are concerned about. The only thing that matters is that this is the way that we're going to solve this. We're going to find a way to murder this guy. We're going to get him killed. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing to understand. There is nothing else that has any relevance whatsoever. He said it is expedient for us that one should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. 
This is the position that he takes, and everyone follows what Caiaphas has to say. They accept the corruption from the top down, as I explained in the previous program. They accept this. This is going to be the solution, that Jesus is going to die for the people. That's how we're going to describe this. We're not going to say that we're worried about our place or we're worried about our nation as if it belonged to them. We're not going to say that. That has no relevance here. We're going to say that the people are at risk and we are going to save the people. That's what we are going to do. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that we're going to recognize. That's what we're going to do. We are going to be the savior of the people by murdering Jesus. That is what we are to understand. That is what we are going to do. And that is how we are going to justify our decision. We're not going to talk about losing our jobs. We're not going to talk about losing our economic opportunity. We're not going to talk about losing our wealth or our position. None of that is going to have any relevance. We are going to be the saviors of the people, of the nation. But then in verse 51, John reports, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Yes, we have Caiaphas the prophet. Caiaphas the prophet. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the people, that he would die for the nation. Now, this is what Caiaphas is saying. Caiaphas is saying, yeah, we need this guy to die for the people so that we can be the Savior, so that we can keep our place, our authority, our position, and our way of life that we have that's doing just fine for us right now. But John says that he is going to die for the people in a different way. He's going to die for the people in a way that he is going to be the means by which there is forgiveness from God for the people. So it's the same phrase, die for the people, die for the people. But it has two completely different meanings. One meaning is an understanding that the religious leadership has, and another meaning has to do with what is understood in the New Covenant. The same words are used, but the definition of this phrase and what this represents is going to mean two things that are effectively the exact opposite. Because in this context, John is stating that Jesus is going to be the Savior of the people, not Caiaphas. Not the Sanhedrin, but Jesus is truly going to be the savior of the people. They are going to do what they are going to do because they believe that through this, they are going to be the saviors of the nation. But because of what they are going to do, the result of it is going to be that Jesus is going to be the savior of the nation. So these guys are getting together 
to discuss what they are going to do to get rid of Jesus, to get him out of the picture. Because there are more and more people that are going to believe in Jesus and their solution to this problem that they perceive is going to increase the number of people who will believe in Jesus and because of their decision, by default, Jesus will become the Savior of the people and, in fact, the Savior for the entire world. And so their solution is not going to solve the problem that they want to solve, but it will solve the problem that God is solving. Again, in verse 51, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. That's what they did. Now, the children of God who were scattered abroad means that he is referring to the collective, not individuals, but to the collective, to say in general, all of the people who are in the world who will surrender to the new covenant, who will meet the criteria that God establishes for those who he will resurrect from the dead, those who will recognize their condition, those who will embrace the provision of the sacrifice of the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins, those are the people who will be born again as children of God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is the problem that Jesus came to solve. He was there in order to restore the spirit of life that was lost in Adam. He was there in order to invoke a new covenant. He was there in order to provide the means by which people could be saved, through which they could be born again, through which they could become a new creation in Christ Jesus according to the new covenant. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. And he has reached the limit of what he can do with these people. Now, the situation has come to a point where the people, the religious leaders, those who are in positions of authority and those who are going to be loyal to those in power, they are now fully committed to murdering Jesus. That is the decision. There is nothing more that Jesus can do with these people. All that he can do now is decide when he will make himself available so that they can capture him and execute him. That's all that he can do. And so again, in verse 53, Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Verse 54, Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, 
and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Now certainly he is going to go. He's required to go according to the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law states that you are required to go to the place that was declared to be the place of the name of God, and you are to observe the Passover every year in that place. Jesus will go. Otherwise, he is going to violate the Mosaic Law. And the leadership has declared that if anyone sees him, they had better report it. Otherwise, they will most likely have to face consequences related to their failure to obey the authorities there in Jerusalem. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 62nd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I completed John chapter 11, where I spoke about verses 49 to 57. In this program, I emphasized the conspiracy that took place with the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. The high priest, the chief priests, many of the Pharisees assembled together, and they made a decision that they would find a way to murder Jesus. They believed that they needed to do this in order to save the people, in order to save the nation. Because when you've got a guy who's resurrecting people from the dead, and many people are turning to him, there was great risk that the Romans would respond and wage war against the people to restore their authority in the land. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.